Our Old Testament lesson comes from Psalm 30, verses 1 through 12, which can be found on page 864 in uh, your pew Bibles. This is the entire psalm of uh, Psalm 30, which is a psalm, a song, the dedication of the temple of David. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and God, we thank you for all that you have made. God, we thank you for uh, providing for us what we do need. We thank you for giving to us what we need and even more. God, we thank you for your goodness, for your generosity. We thank you for giving us your word. We pray that this morning you'd help us to hear it, to really hear it. We pray that you would give us ears that are ready to hear. We pray that you give us minds that are ready to think, to understand. And God, that you'd give us hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives. God, that by your word and by your spirit, we would be changed evermore into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Psalm 30. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favored me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Turning then to our New Testament lesson, Mark Chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. This is um, a bit of a longer reading than usual. However, I can't really break this one up (laughs) once you start it. um, Because Jesus starts to go somewhere and gets interrupted but gets back to where he's going. And the interruption is critical to understanding the whole thing. So anyway, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this morning, we are continuing our uh, series in the book of Philippians, which, if you have not uh, gotten one of these booklets to study through uh, during the weeks on your own, there's some of those in the back as well. Uh, So please do grab those. And um, before we really get into this, I just need to know if people here are familiar with chess, the board game chess. It's a very ancient game. Thank you for raising your hand back there. I appreciate that. Everybody else is blinking at me, but you know what you're doing. <laughs> you guys know about chess? You guys know how to play? It's weird. Some families, like, everybody knows how to play, and others are just like, yeah, we don't know at all. So for those of you who don't understand how it works, the, of course, the object of the game, and I'm going to simplify this, the object of the game is to try to capture the other person's king, right? And they're going to do everything they can to capture yours and vice versa. Okay. But there comes this point in the game that is uh, checkmate. You know that? That's the end of the game, checkmate. And what that means is you have positioned your pieces in such a way that if they do nothing, you will capture the king. Game over. But it's their turn. But what checkmate means, it's different than check. Check means if you do nothing, then I've got you on the next turn. But there's still ways you can get out of it. Checkmate is different. Checkmate is when you're saying, if you do nothing... I've got you on the next turn. And yet, of all the options that you have, there's no option that gets you out of check. There's no option. You can say, oh, but I can still take your queen. Okay, I still get your king. (laughs) Oh, but I can get your bishop. It's okay, I still get your king. (laughs) Checkmate means game is over. At this point, 
there's nothing you can do to get out of the situation you're in, your king is gone. That's it. That's what checkmate is. Okay, that's important to understand as we get into Philippians because that's what we're looking at is a way of viewing the whole world in a situation of checkmate. I'll explain what I mean in a little bit. But let's go first to, um, to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to finish off this chapter today. And I need to bring you up to speed into where we have been in order to get to where we're going. Where we have been is this is Paul, who is in, uh, in prison in Rome. And he is writing back to the church in Philippi. And they are concerned because he's in prison. And, you know, it's, that's not a good thing. And so they send somebody to him to help take care of his needs there. And he's going to send him back. And he sends him back with this letter. And part of the letter is saying, you don't need to worry about me. Uh, I know you thought this is a problem that I'm in prison. But actually, because of the way that I now see the whole world, I see that Jesus wins in all the situations. And so just by way of recapping, here's some of the ones he runs through in chapter 1. He says, you know, I was, I'm in prison. You're concerned about that. But it's not a bad thing. Because now the people, like the guards who are here watching me, I'm telling them about Jesus. And so if what I really want is for me to be free and out there, this is a bad thing. But if what I really want is for people who don't know about Jesus to hear about Jesus, then me being in prison around these guards that didn't know Jesus, that's a win. <laughs> Jesus still wins, even though I'm here in prison. He says, okay, here's another one. While I'm in prison, there are people who want to stir up trouble for me. And the way they're trying to stir up trouble for me is by being out there preaching about Jesus. I'm not sure how exactly that stirs up trouble for Paul, but that's what they're doing. And he says, you know what? fine. If what I most wanted is for people to not stir up trouble for me, this might be a problem. But if what I most want is for people who don't know about Jesus to hear about Jesus, then have at it. (laughs) Stir up all the trouble for me that you want to. Keep preaching about Jesus (laughs) so people hear about him. And so he says that there again, Jesus wins. And then he says, I'm also under trial right now. I'm in undergoing trial and not just like a a hardship, but like an actual legal trial (laughs) where I'm being held until they decide what to do with me, and I might be released. I might not be released. I might be executed. And he says, but in any of these situations, Jesus still wins. This is that checkmate thing I was talking about, where he says, you know, whether it's this or whether it's this, doesn't matter. You can, you can take my pawn. You can take my queen. doesn't matter. Checkmate has already happened. Jesus has already been raised from the dead, and in that there is nothing else that can happen that will uh, take away what is coming next. And what is coming is the ultimate victory. And so this is where uh, Paul has been saying, this is how I have been seeing things. This is how I have viewed my own circumstances. And now what he's going to do is he's going to turn around to the Philippians and say, so now here's how you are to live. All right, so this is how I've been living. And I want you to see how this works. Here are some examples in my own life. Now here's what you are to do. And this is uh, picking up in verse 27. He says, whatever happens. So that's the whatever of if I, if I get released from prison or if I don't. He says, whatever happens, here's what you're to do. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way 
by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. That's it. But there's a lot in there that needs a bit of unpacking. First of all, let's just take a look at that first sentence. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does that mean? What does it mean to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Does worthy sound to you like something that you're earning? It kind of does to me. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying live in a way that earns this gospel. He's saying live actually in a way that is in line with the gospel. And we say, well, wait, what is this gospel? What is the gospel message that we are to be living in line with? As if we don't know that, then how do we follow this at all? But this goes back to what Paul has been on about the whole time, which is that in Christ, God is making all things new. He's reconciling everything to himself. He's, you take a look at all the brokenness in the world, our relationships between ourselves and God, our relationships between ourselves and each other, our relationships between ourselves and all of creation. And we see brokenness, 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 brokenness. But the good news is that the brokenness is not the end of the story. The good news is that there is an end of the story that's coming. And it is as assured as checkmate (laughs) that this victory is coming. And what this is, is for all of it to be put right again. For everything to be back in wholeness, wellness, and a healing uh, that is full and complete with no more brokenness. Or as we read, no more tears or pain or sorrow or death because the old order of things will have passed away. This is what is the good news is that this is what Jesus has come to do and to accomplish. And what Paul says is this good news that we're going out announcing, it is a whole different way of looking at the world than what the world is used to. And the way the world, the rest of the world is used to seeing things. But this is the good news. This is what we announce. That in Jesus, God is reconciling all things to himself. That he is making all things new. That where there is brokenness, there can be healing. This is good news. This is, uh, and so then he says, live, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whatever happens to me, he says, whatever ends up going on with my trial, I don't want you to stop doing what you're doing. And what you're doing is to keep this good news not only in mind, but also in practice. That as you go through the events of your day, your week, your month, your years, that you would live in such a way as though this good news is actually true. That's what I want you to keep doing. And he says, and I want you to do this And that way, whether I get to come and see you or not, I don't have to wonder. I don't have to wonder about you. But I'll know that this is how you're living. 
It says, I'll know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Take a look at that part. Um, You stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one. Um, Anybody ever seen those rowing competitions? The crew kind of thing? Where you get those long, skinny boats and a bunch of people got their oars and... uh, and you know, there's the, the person, the coxswain on there, who's shouting out, row, 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 and you know, row your boat. No, that's not it. Um, I don't think I'd make a good one of those. I'd start singing. And anyway, so they're calling that out, and everybody's rowing at the same time, and that is why the boat goes straight, and it's why it goes so fast. This, I think, is a helpful image in what Paul is talking about here when he says, striving together as one, Right? for the faith of the gospel, that everybody is working together to go the same direction and to do so uh, where all of their, the energy that they are expending is useful and helpful to everybody else. And uh, so you can imagine what would happen if that person's yelling, row, row, and everybody on the boat is like, I don't know what he keeps blabbing about. I know where I'm going. I got this. <laughs> and they're doing their own thing. Now, if everybody's doing their own thing and they're rowing whichever way they want to row and whenever they want to and however... <laughs> you got the boat that's sort of rocking and spinning and not going anywhere. But boy, are people getting tired. <laughs> and Paul's like, that's not what I want for you. What I want for you is for you to, to strive, to work hard, to do these things, but to be doing it together as one where, you're all, where all your energy is focused in the same direction. Well, how does that happen? It's by listening to the person in the boat. That person, by the way, is not me, <laughs> in, case, in case the metaphor is landing in the wrong spot. That, he says, is the Spirit of God. And so he says, uh, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This is uh, this spirit of God that empowers, does not only empower us to do these things, but it also gives us the way to go about things. Um, if we were to strive together to, um, if, it were, if I were the one at the, at the helm there, if I were the one uh, just shouting these things out and everybody's like, yes, we're going to do that, but it was all just in our own strength, we might be able to do things that don't actually advance the gospel at all. And here's what I mean. The the way of Jesus is not the same thing as mowing your lawn. And it, if you want to mow your lawn and you're in a really bad mood and you just got to get this done and, you know, the mower's been acting up and uh, you don't have enough time and it's hot outside, but it's got to be done. And so you're like, you know what? Fine, I got it started. I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm do it. And you get all grumpy and bent out of shape and you go and you and mow the lawn, Right? Does the lawn care what mood you're in? No. But when you finish the job, the job is done, and it didn't really matter what mood you're in. It doesn't matter how you go about that kind of in your heart. As long as you're pushing the mower over that grass, it gets cut. But the ways that we are striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, it matters how you go about it. And so when, uh, (laughs) when Jesus calls us to forgive people. 
those who wrong us, when he calls us to love our that's not the kind of thing that you can just sort of agree to, oh, I'm going to forgive you. <laughs> Fine, I'm going to serve this person. When he calls his disciples, it says, you know, same way that I'm washing your feet, go, you go wash others' feet. Serve them as I'm serving you. And when you do that, if you have that sort of lawnmower bad attitude, and you go about it, you know, I'm going to do the things he said to do, but I'm not real happy about it. That matters. That makes a difference. And so if it's something that we're just trying to do on our own, we might be doing the things and yet not be advancing the gospel at all because what we're doing, or the way that we're doing what we're doing, is actually in opposition to the good news that in Christ, God is reconciling all things to himself. And so we might actually be I mean, this is what Jesus was all the time on the Pharisees about, as they were doing all the things, but with an attitude that was actually tearing people down and pulling people away from God instead of building people up, bringing people together, and bringing people to God. And so they're following all the things, but they're doing it all with the wrong heart. And so this is why it's so important that he says uh, that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Um. And then, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. So apparently in Philippi, this is something that happened when Paul was there in Philippi. He actually got thrown in jail. You remember that? In Acts, he gets thrown in jail. Apparently that kind of thing is still going on for the Philippian church. And there are still people who are opposing the Philippians. And he's like, but you don't need to be afraid. Why do they not need to be afraid? Checkmate has already happened. (laughs) Jesus has risen from the dead, and therefore we know where all this is headed. And so they don't need to be afraid of anyone who opposes them. And so people say, look, we're going to make things hard for you. And they say, that's fine. We wish you wouldn't, but we know that Jesus still wins. And they say, well, we're going to take your property away. And they say, that's fine. We wish you wouldn't. <laughs> but in the end, it all belongs to him anyway. Say, we're going to torture you and kill your body. And they say, well, you know, we really wish you wouldn't. (laughs) On the other hand, this isn't the only body I'm ever going to have. This one's going to break down at some point anyway. And so Jesus still wins. And so no matter what these people are going to do, he says you don't need to be afraid of them because no matter what they have as a way of getting you, they can't get you if Jesus already has you. And so you don't need to be afraid of them. And you can continue to strive together for the faith of the gospel without being afraid of them. And you know what's going to happen whenever you're doing that? When you're able to face this kind of opposition without having to be afraid of it? You know what happens? He says this becomes a sign. You know what a sign is, right? A road sign, stop sign. It has a message on it. He says this is this. You just dealing with this opposition without being afraid. This is going to tell them something. What's it going to tell them? going to tell them they're on the wrong side. That those persecutors, the ones who are coming after you, are going to see how you handle that. It's going to freak them out, really. How is it that they're able to go through what they're going through without being afraid? I'm doing everything to make them afraid, and they're not afraid. He says, this is a sign to you, or this will be a sign to them, that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. In other words, checkmate has already happened. 
there is nothing they can do that can keep uh, you from being saved. And then he goes on with the, the part in this, um, in this passage. I don't know if, if you've been going through the little booklet. Uh, this may have, may have caught you where it says, uh, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Anybody hit that part and go, you know what? I'm okay with the just believing in him part. It doesn't need to be granted to me to suffer for him. I'm fine with just not suffering. But that's not what he says. This has been granted to you on behalf of Christ. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. That these Philippians are going through some hardships and some struggles and some suffering. And he says, what you're going through now is the same thing that you saw that I had when I was there. You're doing the same thing to you that you did to me when I was there. And now that I'm in Rome and I'm writing, you've heard I'm going through the same thing here. But, but this suffering that you're going through is not a sign that Jesus has abandoned you. It is not a sign that uh, God is bringing down his judgment upon you. No, this suffering that you're undergoing is something that has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, that you are suffering for him. That your suffering is actually yet another way of advancing the gospel. If the way that you're living through it is what he says at the beginning of this section. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Right? And then, whether we are in times of rejoicing and praising Jesus for who he is and what he's done, or whether we are in times of intense suffering and pain and hardship, if whatever happens, we are conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, if we are still living in light of the good news of what, is, uh, what has happened, that checkmate that has occurred, so we know what's coming in the future, if we are living in light of that no matter what we're going through, then even our suffering, then even our suffering can be a good thing, can be a redemptive thing, can be something that... Um, that deepens our own faith and shows more clearly the work of Jesus in our lives for others. Anybody here ever experienced that? We're in a time of your own suffering. You've had your own faith deepen, and also others were able to hear or see differently the good news. Probably so. We probably also had moments where we have had um, suffering where we didn't we didn't conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. We forgot the gospel. We forgot the good news of the checkmate that has already happened. And so we have lived differently, and in that, we have suffered in what seems meaningless and arbitrary. I've shared this line before. Um, This comes from The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. At the end of that book, it says, uh, paraphrasing, 
everyone, everyone suffers. But only Christians can suffer with Christ. Right? And that makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And so what Paul is going through, we see that whatever is happening in his life, he's still able to rejoice and praise Jesus because he sees the checkmate has already happened. Jesus has the victory. And this is what he's saying now he wants for the Philippian church as well. This is what what we should want for this church. It's what we should want for every church. That whatever happens, whatever we're going through, we would be able to live in light of the good news of Jesus and see how that changes how we view whatever our situation is where we see that the checkmate has happened and that, um, that Jesus still wins in all of it. Um, we're going to be reminded of how we do strive together as one as we go through our um, core values of eco here in a little bit. We are also going to approach the table again. Take the bread, take the cup. As yet another reminder of this good news. And it's another way of being sustained in the gospel. As we once again recognize that it is not, that we are not here because of anything we have done, but because of what he has done. And assured because of this, that what he has done has made checkmate <laughs> possible. That whatever else the world has to throw at us, victory is already assured. And in that, we can rejoice whatever happens. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.